welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the Lion's Den in Monument, Colorado, and I am here with my buddy, Matthew Hexter, owner of Evergood Elixirs, who produces Skier Pea, Snow Bunny, and Switch Stance, which are lemon wines. They are. It's something unusual. We'll get to that in a little bit, but first question of every episode, what you smoking? Steve, I have no idea. <laughs> I handed you an Elusione one-off. Perfect. Yeah. It's good. Howard at Elusione sent us a bunch of cigars, and that one is the, I've said it on the podcast before, it's the first cigar that I ever fell in love with. What are your first thoughts on it? Very creamy and smooth. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Awesome. And then I have a Providencia Hostage, which is a darker stick. Reed Grafke, one of the owners of Providencia, handed out a bunch of what he thought was this blend and before it was actually named, and I fell in love with this one. This one's probably my favorite Providencia so far, and so I'm enjoying this one. So Matthew, you are an Ohio kid. I am. Born and raised there. Where at in Ohio? So, uh, born in Bay Village, which is a western suburb of Cleveland, right on the lake. Okay. And we're known for the original Sam Shepard murder trial. If you remember The Fugitive, the show. Yeah. As well as the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it was based on what happened with a doctor named Sam Shepard. And the reason why that's so special to me is my grandfather was actually the doctor on call at what was then Bayview Hospital when Sam Shepard was brought in. And he was the one that checked him out and then had to go testify in his court case, which was pretty fascinating. All right. So talk a little bit more about that, because for listeners that aren't familiar with that. So what happened with that? So apparently this doctor named Sam Shepard was accused of murdering his wife. Mm -hmm. And so as the story goes, he says that somebody broke into his house, actually killed his wife, and then he confronted him, got in a fight. Mm -hmm. Fight went down to the beach, beaches of Bay Village, yeah. where he sustained some injuries. And so he always claimed his innocence, that he did not do it. And the media just had a heyday with this thing. And a lot of people, well, a lot of the law is based off of that case because the media had such an influence mm -hmm. on the outcome of that, that now they no longer allow the media in these high-profile murder cases. Yeah. Like they were allowed in. Yeah. And so there was a lot of talk and everything. And so I've read a number of books on this, and it's interesting that years down the road, I come to find out that there is compelling evidence that says what he said, what he claims, is actually true. That there was another man who really kind of liked his wife, like the window cleaner, yeah. and had orchestrated all of it and later confessed it. So just it was fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating so, so what kind of role did your grandpa then have in that? He testified and yeah. checked out yeah, so Dr. Shepard. Yeah. So my grandfather was a doctor. Yeah. And so he was the doctor in Bay Village, one of the doctors. Yeah. And so he just happened to be the doctor on call. When did he, he was, know Dr. Shepard? He did. Yes, he okay. did. Yep. 
Because they practiced together yeah. there in Bayview Hospital. Yeah. And what was his determination? What did he testify? Did he... When Dr. Shepard was brought in, he had said he'd gotten hurt. He had sustained some injuries mm-hmm. fighting with this guy. Mm-hmm. And so it was my grandfather who kind of checked him out and you know, then later had to testify that this is indeed you know, what happened. So it's fun. As I read some of these books, they actually, you know, call out my grandfather, you know, that this is what he did. And Was Dr. Shepard convicted? Yes. He was convicted of killing his wife, and he spent a lot of time in prison. Yeah, I believe he died um, of cancer later on. Yeah, so, fascinating story. So, but the TV show, obviously, he escapes and becomes the fugitive. Dr. Right. Shepard never escaped. No, never, he never escaped. But that was just a Hollywood extra mm-hmm. that they threw on there. That's it was. Good. All right. So talk about what kind of a home did you grow up in? Yeah, so um, I've got a younger brother who's about six and a half years younger than me, and I didn't grow up with him. My folks got divorced when he was in first grade, when I was in sixth grade. Mm. And so my mom took my little brother, they moved about an hour and a half away, and I stayed with my dad. Mm. Um, And it was very rough. Later on, I would learn that my dad would tell me that my grandpa actually committed suicide. And that was devastating for both my dad, as well as his siblings, as well as his mom, because apparently he had told my dad, being the firstborn son, this is what I'm going to do. Don't tell anybody about it. You're not going to get you know, insurance. You know, things just aren't going to play out well. So my dad, not being a man of faith, not having a, really any sort of a faith you know, foundation, just didn't know how to handle that. Yeah. It, he just internalized it all. Um, out of that, he became extremely angry, extremely abusive to me, to my mom. And my mom just basically said she fell out of love with him, and so she moved away. And so why my mom let me stay with my dad, I'll have no idea. Did you ever ask? Um, I did. And, you know, my mom and I have been able to reconcile since then. I've been able to find some answers in that. Yeah. But it was interesting because, like, once my mom came over, to, well, actually, she had called and said, how's it going? And I said, well, it's fine. I just haven't eaten for a couple of days. Well, what do you mean you haven't eaten for a couple of days? Well, dad's gone and I don't know where he is. So here I was, a middle school kid. I think it was in probably seventh grade, eighth grade at home alone. So my mom drove an hour and a half, brought some Stouffer's French bread pizza, showed me how to cook it in the oven because we didn't have a microwave that time, yeah. and then left. And of course, I'm thinking, why didn't you just take me with you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so don't ever serve me Stouffer's French bread pizza. Yeah, that's just, I've never had it since and I never will. So that was kind of my growing up years, my formative years, middle school and high school. Just no input or interaction at all with my dad and just seeing my brother and my mom occasionally. I'm so sorry. Wow. So how did you come to faith? I mean, I could only imagine those kinds of wounds, if you will, being emotionally neglected, physically neglected. Yeah. And dad that was abusive, a mom who was absent. I can only imagine the kinds of walls that you would put up. How did God get through? Yeah. Well, not just walls, but I ran to a lot of things to find life. Right? Yeah. I needed to anesthetize my pain somehow. Yeah. So a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, just getting into stuff I shouldn't have. I mean, I was going to like yeah. beer parties when I was in seventh grade. Mm. 
you know, smoking and sniffing stuff. I had no idea what this stuff was, just higher than a kite. And so fortunately in our school, we had a very strong young life, Mm -hmm. very strong young life ministry. And so unbeknownst to me, this group, this discipleship group would get together every year and write down the names of the top 10 people who they wanted to see come to faith because either they were so self-destructive or so destructive to others that they really needed to pray for these people. Mm -hmm. And so I made the list my freshman year, my sophomore year, my junior year. (laughs) I'm I'm not saying it's a good list, but somebody was praying for me. Right? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So finally, my junior year, I mean, by the time I hit my junior year, I was going to school blitzed. I mean, I was just lit going to school. Enough so I'd be bringing in open containers of beer, just putting them right there in my locker. And I would have friends like walk down the hall and just literally say, you're going to go home. Just go home, sleep it off. We'll just tell the teacher you're sick because you smell like a bar. Mm. Yeah. So finally, this group, I think they'd had enough. Yeah. <laughs> enough of seeing me, you know, self-destruct. Enough of um, seeing my influence on others. So they finally all kind of gang-tackled me and said, hey, there's this Young Life camp that you need to go to. And, of course, I was so arrogant. I was like, well, hey, are you going? They're like, yeah. I'm going, well, then I'm definitely not going because <laughs> I'm definitely not going to be seen with you. So, I mean, that was kind of my attitude. Yeah. But they were persistent. They kept pressing it, pressing it, pressing it. And it's the craziest thing. I just remember this day when, like, my heart changed. And I just felt like I had to go. And telling my dad, you know, look it, I'll be out of your hair for a week. You won't have to see me. Mm-hmm. Right? You won't have to deal with my problems. Mm-hmm. Right? So what was your dad doing with all of this rebellion? Was he confronting you? Was he enabling it? Was he just didn't care. He was just very passive about it. I don't know that he cared one way or the other. Like I would come home from parties, just stone blitz, just gone. You know, I'd drive the family car, like try to get it in the garage, you know, and his bedroom was right above the garage. So the garage door would go up. It would take me three or four tries to actually get the car in. Yeah. So that's a hint right there. Like something's up. And I remember like stumbling up the stairs just so like drunk and there's my dad at the top of the stairs and didn't say a word now of course the next day i was paying for it you know yeah the worst hangover ever and you know just felt like i was gonna die but yeah that was experience you go to this young life camp your dad relents lets you go yeah what happened Well, so at least when I went to camp, they would kind of take the whole week to share the gospel with you, right, and kind of work you up to it. After the first night, I knew that this was something that I had to have. What they had said was, God offers you a love with no strings attached. He offers you a love like a father with no strings attached. And I don't know why, but that phrase just stuck with me and that just like, you know, gripped my heart. Yeah. And so I remember grabbing this, you know, one of the kids, one of our classmates, I grabbed him and I said, you're going to tell me about this Jesus right now. So I grabbed him. We walked out of the meeting. We went and sat down for about two and a half hours. He just kind of laid out the salvation plan. 
and right then and there, I accepted Christ. So it was Saranac Village, the Young Life Camp, Upper State, New York. Was there an immediate transformation in your life? Was it kind of gradual? Um, yeah, I would say it was immediate. Really? I came back home. I had no desire to drink. Wow. In fact, I didn't drink for like 17 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just didn't drink. It was crazy. I immediately started sharing my faith with all of my best friends. They all became Christ followers, like my little circle, <laughs> right? And what was crazy was within about three or four months, we were having campaigners, which was the Young Life meeting, at our house. And word got around that Matthew was going to tell everybody about like how he came to know Jesus. So I had 250 people show up at my house. They were in our living room. They were out on our deck. They were outside our house. Like we were opening up so all the windows. So you were known windows. within the community as a hard partier, crazy dude. 250 people show up. They did. Yeah. A quarter of our school. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yep. It was crazy. And I just told everybody that, you know, Jesus had found me. Yeah, I remember hearing this awesome phrase about like what happens in salvation is simply accept being found. Yeah. And so I accepted being found. And so I, I shared that and it was radical, man. It was absolutely radical. So what happens next in your life? So well, then I go to college, go to yeah. Ohio State, get involved with a ministry there. I think I'm going to go on staff with them. That doesn't work out. Yeah, I know I'm condensing a lot. You know, that's then where I meet my, my wife. Yeah. Because she's involved with crew. Yeah. Back then it was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Yeah. How'd you meet her? We were in the apartment right next to them. So literally there was a wall separating us. So we had three guys living in an apartment. Next to us were the three girls, and they were all staff girls. Yeah. So you want to hear a crazy story. So yeah. this is fun. So... One of the staff girls comes over, knocks on our door. Her name's Katie, and she says, Katie, um, I need, uh, rather, she, you know, Matthew, I need to talk to you. So that's Katie. Matthew, I need to talk to you. I'm like, okay. She said, this is going to sound crazy, but you're supposed to marry Melanie. <laughs> I'm like, that does sound a little crazy. Yeah, that's a little crazy. I'm in my senior year in college. She goes, I don't know, just this is what God's impressed upon me. And there are some people in our lives that we just feel like have this communication with God, with Jesus, that's amazing and always profound, right? Mm -hmm. And they always check themselves, you know, but man, they... Because I hear stories all the time of God told me we're supposed to marry and they have just the most miserable marriage. And it was just a feeling huh. that was misinterpreted. And so I'm kind of jaded and like, yeah, sure. I don't God told you, this. yeah, all right. I'll, I'll wait for my confirmation before I start to move forward with that. Right, right. Absolutely. But in your case, obviously, it worked out because how many years later now? You guys uh, are we're together? going on 30. 30 years? Yeah, 30 Melanie's years. awesome. She is yeah. one special lady. Absolutely. Yep. I remember a friend telling me, don't marry someone you can live with. Marry someone you can't live without. And I can tell you that, man, there's no way I would be where I'm sitting even today without her. There's absolutely no way. So when that friend, Katie, said that to you, was there any kind of interest? Were there any kind of feelings? Was none. there? There was none. Not on my side and none on her side. Seriously? None. Zippo. 
yeah, I was like, Katie, I don't know what you're smoking, but <laughs> I'm all done with that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, she goes, well, I'm going to take a week and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to fast just for this. So literally she just fasted the whole week. She came back. She's like, you're supposed to marry her. So I'm like, I'm not even dating her. She goes, well, you better get started. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. So to give you some background, so I've done a lot of stuff over my life. I did some acting in high school as well as college. And so I've always had a kind of a bent for the theatrical, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, okay, Katie, well, if I've got to, if we've go on a date, then I'm going to ask her out my way. That's fine. That's fine. So one day the, all the girls are there in the living room. I come in and say, hey, I've got a question for you. I just want to pose this question. You know, I guess I was playing it off like I was in a sociology class or something. And I'm like, what would be like one of the most rudest, kind of quirkiest, you know, ways that a guy could ask you out? Right. And so they were all kind of brainstorming. And one of the things they said was, well, that would be really awkward if like they called and asked you out like on your answering machine. Right. You know, so we didn't call it voicemails then. We actually had the physical tapes answering machine. It's like, oh, cool. So one day when they weren't at home, I broke into their house. We had keys. So it didn't really break in. And I actually... um, I called and I hemmed and hawed and, you know, hey, if you kind of maybe want to sort of go out sometime, that'd be maybe kind of cool. Like we could maybe go do something maybe, right? So really awkward, right? So then what I did was I had a little four-track recorder, a little Tascam four-track recorder. I went over and actually recorded me on their voicemail, on their answering machine, asking Melanie out. So then I brought it back and I put on, um, as a trailer, I put on the Mission Impossible theme music, right? And then I overdubbed it with, you know, this message will self-destruct in five, <laughs> four, right? And so I made a little cassette. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So then I, I slapped on like a Chuck Swindoll, you know, label, label on it, you know, so she'd think it was like, you know, yeah. she didn't know what it was. So she was heading out for church one morning. I ran out there. I'm like, hey, you really got to listen to this message on your way to church, I just really feel like God's telling me that you have to listen to this, you know. So she looks at it, says Chuck Swindoll, you know. Says, oh, okay, I like Chuck Swindoll, sure. So you know, off she goes, and you know, here I'm thinking I'm, you know, I'm something special, right? Like, look what I did. Well, I'm waiting for her to get back home, you know, knock on the door and say, "Oh, wow, you're just so creative. I would love to go out with you. That sounds great." No knock. I'm like, huh? You know, I looked out there. Yep, her car's there. Like, huh? That's weird. I wonder if she didn't listen to it. Okay, I'll give her another day. So I wait another day. Nothing. Wait another day. Nothing. By now, I'm like, really? I'm like... You, you put all this effort into this yeah. creative thing that you thought... That is really unique. Yeah. Not just you thought, but it, it was unique. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Right? And so I'm but waiting. She's not appreciating I'm it. I'm like, good grief. I'm like, I think Katie got this wrong. <laughs> right? I'm like, Katie, I don't know if you're talking to the same Jesus I'm talking to. Right? <laughs> So then comes Friday, and I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm done. So, you know, walk out there. She's not there. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to check the mailbox, see if we have anything. I check the mailbox, look in there, and there's a letter addressed to me. I'm like, huh, okay. I don't know who sent me a letter. So I go in there, open it up, and it's a form letter that looks like it's been photocopied about 100 times. (laughs) 
<laughs> I can see where this is going. And it says, you know, date. You know, you kind of scribble <laughs> in the date. You know, two. You know, and then a line. You know, Matthew, right? And then you know, checkbox. I will. I will not. You know. <laughs> More check boxes. Go on a date with you. Take a walk with you know those sorts of things. So here she check marked it right and then signed it <laughs> and physically mailed the letter to me. It did. It had a postage stamp on it. I'm like, oh, she's a keeper. This is good. <laughs> this is gonna be good. <laughs> yep. So then we went on our first date. Yeah. How long did you guys date before you got married? Maybe nine months or less. Not a long time. Yeah. Yeah, started to date, and then I proposed, and maybe nine months to a year. Yeah. Yeah, not a long time. And so you finished school. Obviously, that happened during your senior year. So where did you guys go? What did you do? Yeah, well. First years after school. Yeah, well, so she was on staff with Campus Crusade, and so I thought I was going to go on staff. That didn't work out. So then we got married, lived in Columbus. I started working. Where would you go to school? Did Ohio. you go to Did you go to Ohio State? I went to Ohio State. Okay, the Ohio State University. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> and so she's with Campus Crusade. Yeah. What'd you do? I was just working some okay. side jobs, and then uh, she came off staff. Uh, we got married, and then I just started working there. And uh, what did you study in school? You know, I studied a lot of stuff. Too many, too many things. And there's a, there's a story to that as well. Okay, let's hear um, it. Let's hear it. So. Your um, stories thus far have been really good. Okay. So, okay. Let's dig into that one. So my mom was very musical. Okay. She performed with the Cleveland Opera. She actually had her own TV show on the public television station there, WVIZ in Cleveland. Okay. Teaching music. Okay. So I grew up, you know, during my formative years when our times were actually good, going to concerts, things like that. I was in a choir called the Singing Angels. We actually performed with the Cleveland Orchestra at Blossom Music Center, which is in Cleveland, kind of an outdoor venue, kind of like Fiddler's Green Mm -hmm. here in Denver. So I grew up playing music, played piano, played violin, saxophone, landed on drums, and then started playing with a drum and bugle corps, something called DCI, mm-hmm. and then got into playing you know, rock and roll music, started playing in bands. So I always just thought I was going to be a rock and roll drummer. Yeah. Thought, why not? I mean, I'm loving it. You know, I, I'm pretty good at it. So yeah, I could do this, right? In fact, when I was in Campus Crusade and people were doing their summer projects, I actually toured with their bands, and I was the only student that toured with like all of the staff. Yeah. And we just tour all around the country, which yeah. was super fun. So, but to back up there, my senior year, so I had come to Christ. My dad said, "Oh, this is a phase. You know, it's been a super long phase." <laughs> um, but he said one night, "Hey, I want to take you out because um, there's something I want to show you." I'm like, okay, fair enough. You know, my dad's. You know, trying to interact with me a little bit. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I think that's pretty good. So my dad takes me out to this bar and we start walking in and I'm like, dad, I don't drink anymore. I'm like, I don't do this anymore. He's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to drink. I just want to show you something. I'm like, hmm, that should be interesting. You know, what do you do when someone is not involved in your life 
and then they reach out to you, mm-hmm. right? Especially for men, having our dads take the initiative is very compelling. Mm-hmm. So we go to this bar, and in this corner is a guy playing some music, playing guitar, and he's probably playing James Taylor. I just love James Taylor. And I was really getting into it. Like, oh, this is really good. And so my dad said, I know that guy. Like, oh, cool. Maybe I can get his autograph. I don't know. Like, I don't know why we're here. He goes, I know that he works a day job, and he gigs out here to make ends meet. He's got a wife and some kids, and he can barely keep food on the table. I'm like, hmm, okay. What else? He's like, you're not going to be that guy. So you're going to go to college, you're going to get a degree, and it's not going to be in music. And that's that. I mean, you know, after years and years of having no interaction with my dad, you know, he tries to insert himself yeah. into my life. Yeah. And I'll be honest, Steve, I didn't know what to do with it. Really? I did not know what to do with that. Yep. So I ended up going to Ohio State, did not get a degree in music, yeah. was completely depressed and just lost most of my college career. You didn't really put any effort and thought really into what else besides music. Exactly. Yeah. I just thought, why not? You know, other people can do it. Why not me? Yeah. But my dad's perspective was, you know, you've got a one in a million shot. You might as well have something you can fall back on because I don't want you coming back here, mm-hmm. you know, living off of me, mm. essentially. So mm. I crammed four years into five and ended up getting a degree in education, elementary education, mm. which I don't know why, because I really didn't enjoy teaching other people's kids. <laughs> But it was like the seventh or eighth major I tried. Like when I would go into my counselor, career counselor, mm-hmm. like he would just flat out tell me, look it. He's like, don't come in here anymore. Just get your degree and leave. He's like, you're only like three quarters away, yeah. right? Just get your degree, you know, just go do something. So during that time, did they not try and give you some kind of assessments and tests and talk with you about your strengths and your talents and your passions and, you know, those kinds of things. Did they not do that? Um, you know, that wasn't a big thing back then. They didn't have the strengths finder. Yeah. Right. They didn't have a lot of those tools, you know, plus a big thing in crusade was going on staff, (laughs) right? That was it. They wanted you to go on staff and I really didn't want to go on staff. I wanted to play music. Right? Because that's where I felt like my gifts were. Yeah. Yeah. So so you get this degree in elementary education that you yep. never end up using. You get these odds and ends jobs. At what point did you... And obviously, you probably start having babies around this time. You know, it was hard, Steve. It was really hard for my wife. Because um, as soon as I got out of college and we got married, I really fell into a deep depression mm. for probably about two and a half years. Really? Yeah, not just short. Very, yeah. I mean, this was prolonged. So my wife ended up getting the job, right? And, yeah. and providing for us. And I just drifted. I just drifted in and out of, I go do landscaping, you know, just these odds and ends types of jobs for just the longest time. And I remember I was 29 and we were expecting our first child and my wife came in, sat down, looked me in the eye and said, look at when we have this baby, 
I'm staying home, so you need to go provide for us. And if you don't, if we live in a cardboard box, that's on you. So basically calling me out and calling me up. Are you going to man up or not? Yeah. You know, How'd here, you take that? I can't recall exactly how I took it, but I can tell you the result of that was that I got what I felt was my first real job. Hmm. I actually got a job for a division of Ohio State that taught technology to teachers. Because some backstory there, when I was working on my education degree, because I have a proclivity, I can absorb things really quick and understand things really quick. Mm -hmm. So at this time, you know, Macs were just coming into the scene. They were being introduced into the classroom, and these older teachers had no idea what these were. Mm -hmm. And they just didn't bother me at all. So everywhere I would go, they would throw me into the computer lab. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I became the computer expert. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, even though I really didn't know that much about them, I knew more than they did, and I yeah. wasn't scared of it. Yeah, right. It was like learning a new piece of music. Yeah, like okay, we can do this. And so, this first real job I had was actually teaching other teachers how to use technology in the classroom. So it fit in with my degree. Right, I was able to slide right in. It was a salary position. I got benefits. I got vacation. I got paid time off. I mean, I really. I felt like, wow, this is like a grown-up job, right? And I could actually do this. Yeah. And it was just so good for me. You know, now I had some movement, right? Mm -hmm. And movement is so important to people struggling with depression mm -hmm. because you don't want to move, right? Yeah. And when you're forced, when, you know, when the thumb is on you and pushing and you're feeling that pressure, you know, being forced to move is a good thing. And that's my wife kind of forced my hand you know, to do that. So you get that job, you start having kids. How many you guys have? So we have six now. Six. Yeah. I like to tell people, you know, I just can't keep my wife off me. What can I say? You know, and I can't believe I just said this on tape for all the world to hear. But I did. <laughs> so to fast forward. Yep. You guys moved here to Colorado. What year was it? Like 2015? 15, 2016? Yeah, 2015. We actually, so we lived in Ohio up until 2014. Yeah. And there was at that time a website called Find Your Spot, which is kind of like the eHarmony for where you want to move. Yeah. So you fill out this questionnaire, it comes back, kicks out, hey, here are like the top five, top 10 places in the U.S. that you should look at. Yeah. And everything was out west. And so, yeah, 2015. So we, we lived in Utah for a year and then moved here in 2015. And that's when I met you. Like, I mean, you guys had been here for, geez, I want to say two months, maybe. Yeah, not that when, long. When, when you and I had met. Right. So a mutual friend, Eric Fish, who's a holy smoker in the uh, Phoenix area. I think he's in uh, Scottsdale area. Okay. Be something like that now. Yeah. I just met Eric and he was like, hey, I got this other guy that just moved into town. And so we met downtown and I fell in love with you. I'm like, this is a dude I like. Even though you're an Ohio State fan, I still like you. And so you move here. So what kind of precipitated that? I mean, no family ties that were keeping you there. Nothing. The kids wanted to move as well. Originally from Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Well, so my, my mom remarried a guy who really 
just did his best to be a good stepdad. Mm. And he's the grandfather that my kids know. So when they think about granddad, yeah. it's Grandpa Gordon. Yeah. He just embraced my family. He just loved on my kids. He loved on me. He loved on my brother. How healing was that for you? Um, you know, I wouldn't come to realize how important that is until years later after he died. Mm. He died in 2012, actually 2011, on Christmas. And so, you know, 2012, 2013 was a time of deep reflection for me when I really considered the impact that he had. What point did your mom remarry him? I was a freshman in college. Okay. Or, you know, I was a sophomore, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so he passes away and... Yeah. So they had a house about a mile or two from us in Ohio. Yeah. So we would see them all the time. Yeah. So um, my mom, they had a house in North Carolina. She moved there permanently, sold her house in Ohio. And we felt like there was nothing tying us down anymore. Mm. There was nothing holding us there anymore. Furthermore, our oldest daughter, she was going to Akron University in we decided we'd float the idea by her first to see if we should wait to move, right? Yeah. Wait until she gets out of college, and then maybe we'll move. Sat down with her, told her. Her reaction was just priceless. She was like, oh, my gosh, would you guys please move? She's like, I need a cool place to go on my <laughs> college vacations, <laughs> right? You know, you know, you know yeah. on my time away. And yeah. she's like, you know, if you don't move now, Chances are I'm going to meet somebody here in Ohio. Their family are going to be in Ohio. We're going to have kids, and you're going to be tied to Ohio. She was like, please move. (laughs) Wow, okay. That's cool. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so that really was the impetus for us. So you guys went to Utah first. Yeah, went went to Utah for a year. Yep. And it was crazy. We were looking for, so Ogden, Utah was, you know, in in like the top 10 of all the locations that came up on Find Your Spot. Yeah. Went out there and visited, you know, I'm like, yeah, might as well give it a go. Right. So we moved out, really enjoyed it. It gave us kind of a a launching pad to visit all the national parks. Right. Mm. And in Utah, there's something called the Big Five, you know, so you can go hit all those parks. Well, we actually tried to buy two houses there in the Ogden area and we were the first bidders on both and we lost both. What? Yeah. So I, I'm glad. Yeah. Now. So I called one of my friends who I really feels like hears from Jesus and I'm like, Hey Mark, I'm like, I don't know what God's doing here, but would you please pray with me, you know, to Mm -hmm. see what God's doing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, absolutely. Absolutely. So Um, We gave it 72 hours, both prayed and fasted, got back together on the phone. And I'm like, what are you hearing? He said, I don't know what this means to you, but here's what I'm hearing. He said, I feel like God's telling me to tell you to stay on the adventure bus. I'm like, stay on the adventure bus. Like, whoa, okay. I don't know how to interpret that. Yeah. But that's really cool. Yeah. It sounds really good. Yeah. Right. And he goes, I don't know either. Yeah. But that's what God's saying. And so, you know, we we prayed about it a little bit more. And then Melanie comes in. This is a Friday night. This is crazy. So she comes in on a Friday night and says, 
what if God's asking us to move? What if all of these opportunities are getting closed because we're ready to move on? Now, we had to move on because we only had a one-year rental lease. We were yeah. renting a house from a family that was coming back. Yeah. So we had a drop-dead date of August 15th. Yeah. So we had to be out. We only had like two weeks left. I had no idea where we're going. Yeah. So spent Friday night, Saturday, just praying about it. Did find your spot again. And we were sitting, I remember we were sitting out on the deck and Melanie's like, so what are the results? So I started telling her the results. And then she said, well, what's number one? And I said, I'm scared to tell you. She's like, why? I'm like, because I don't know why, but I feel like this is where we should go. And I want to know that God can actually smile on me. In other words, could God really really give us this gift? Really? Yeah. And it was Colorado Springs. And so I told her that. She goes, well, you know somebody in Colorado Springs. I'm like, I do. She's like, well, why don't you call? It's Saturday. Why don't you call and see if you could drive out there tomorrow and stay there? Like, okay. (laughs) So I called my buddy Doug and like, any chance? He goes, you know what? We just finished a room in our basement. Of course. Come on out. You have your own room and your own bathroom. Like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) So one of my sons and I drove out on a Sunday. Yeah. And then we're like, well, I guess we have to look for a house. Yeah. So we're now in downtown Colorado Springs at the Starbucks, right there in Tahone, and I'm looking up all these houses, right, yeah. to rent. And this house pops up, and I give him a call, and literally I'm the first one calling. So I tell her my story. You know, she's like, do you have any pets? I'm like, well, yeah, you know, we do. We've got, I've got two cats, you know, and if I get rid of them, my daughters are going to kill me. Well, we really don't have, you know, we really don't want any pets. Like, I I get that, you know, I'm willing to put down a a lease or extra deposit, pet deposit on it. So we go and we look at the house, five bedrooms, three baths, plenty of space, you know, for my kids and everything. And she calls back that night and says... If you guys want it, you can have it. Wow. Like, can we can move in on this date? She yeah. goes, yep, it'll be all ready for you. So then they put in brand new windows for us, air conditioning. I mean, they go crazy. They paint it, everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, then I come to find out, unbeknownst to me, that I guess this lady had been working or at some time had worked for the FBI. Yeah. And so she had done a background check on me. Yeah. And like, you know, I check out, you yeah. know, I yeah. mean, I've got, you know, good credit, yeah. decent job. By this time yeah. I was working for Hewlett Packard, you know, and so came back and my story checked out and she wanted us as renters. So, I mean, within two or three days, boom, we're going to Colorado Springs. All right. So we teased it at the beginning. Yeah. Evergood Elixirs. Where did this love for making your own because when you and I first met you were making yeah. your own beer and yeah. I think not too long after you started telling me about this lemon wine that you created and I tasted it and it was outstanding <laughs> I mean the heavens opened and angels were rejoicing it was beautiful tasting and everyone that's ever tried skier piece snow bunny and switch stance loves it mm. I mean it's become my wife's favorite drink and it's, oh very fun I don't drink very often but it is something that is just beautiful. It's mm. so good. So where did this idea of making your own beer and citrus wine come from? Yeah. So let me give you a little backstory. So earlier I was sharing how, you know, I really felt like I was becoming an alcoholic 
prior to coming to Christ. Yeah. Right? So this was in high school. So yes. come to Christ when I'm 17. I don't feel any more need anymore to drink. Mm-hmm. Really don't have another beer again until I'm in my 30s. Yeah. Right? Um, at that time, I felt like it was something that was no longer an addiction for me. Mm-hmm. In other words, I wasn't running to that to find life. Yeah. So something that my wife learned early on, and kind of once I got my head straight, right, in the world, and kind of was able to work through my depression, she realized that Matthew needs a hobby. Yeah. Because otherwise, Matthew gets in trouble. Yeah. Because I just have a lot of energy, and I really can, like, you know, get myself in trouble. Yeah. Um, so she's like, okay. So she gets me for Christmas, one Christmas early on in our marriage, a certificate to take a coffee class. So this was even before Starbucks. So I'm taking this coffee roasting class, and I learned how to start roasting coffee. Mm. So I went through a bunch of different coffee roasters up to a Hobart nine-pounder, kind of learned how to do this in bulk. Yeah. Right? And so when I felt like I kind of exhausted coffee, then she got me a Mr. Beer kit. I was like, oh, cool. I'll learn how to make beer. Of course, you know, for those who have tried a Mr. Beer kit, sometimes you make good beer and sometimes you don't make good beer. Yeah. But the good beer that I made was very intriguing. And so I, at that time, found a guy locally who was making some beer. Actually, um, he was involved in our homeschool group was making beer, invited me over, and I started learning about it. I'm like, whoa. I mean, my whole world just opened up, right? The whole idea of making something craft. Yes. So started my journey in 2010, Mm -hmm. making beer. Took an actual chemistry of brewing class because I really wanted to understand the chemistry of it because when I was in high school, I really didn't care about chemistry. (laughs) I couldn't find any purpose for it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, there was purpose. Exactly. And so we formed a brew club that would meet monthly, which actually is still meeting. It was cool. We were able to um, kind of co-found it, lead it for a while, and then kind of hand the baton, which was yeah. neat. So every month, guys would be bringing over different beers they brewed. We started having styles of the month, mm-hmm. whether it's an IPA or a Kolsch or a Sour or whatever. And one time in the summertime, this guy brings over what he calls fermented lemonade. I'm like, dude, what's this? He's like, is it wine? Like, what is it? Like, I've never made wine. Yeah. He goes, no, dude, man, I just took some summertime lemonade and threw some champagne yeast on it. And boom, here it is. You know, I remember drinking it. Like, you know, it went down too easy. Yeah. I'm drinking it. I'm drinking it. I stand up. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. What's the ABV on this? He's like, it's really high. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, you got to send me the recipe. This is great. So every summer I would make skier pee, right? Which is the brand name for your lemon wine. Correct. Yeah. We call it like an adult lemonade. So wine made from lemons, not grapes. Yeah. So I would make it in the boy's bathroom in a glass carboy because you want to control the temperature. Mm -hmm. You can put it in a bathroom, close the door, put in a heater. The yeast actually responds better to heat. So you can ferment it faster. Yeah. So being that it was yellow in a glass carboy in the bathroom, my boys were like, oh, so you're making more pee. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I'm making pee. And of course, then we move out to uh, the West and my snarky teenage son, Logan, comes up with skier pee. I'm like, that's brilliant. Which is, I I absolutely love the name. Yeah. And then my daughter, she's done all of our graphic design. 
So she actually designed this when she was in high school. So I gave her kind of a vision for, you know, kind of some retro graphics. Yeah. Which, side note, for anybody who brews their own beer or makes their own wine, you really need to design your own labels. So these labels were my labels long before Evergood Elixirs was a company. I just always felt compelled to have my own label. Yeah. So that was kind of how... That's kind of a cool idea. How that, P was birthed. It's a good advice for people <laughs> that are home brewing and whatever else. Create your own labels. Yeah, absolutely. And create your own names. Yeah. So like I have a smash that I make, single malt, single hop, called Twisted Pine. And I like to use Simcoe hops. They're very piney. Yeah. I have my Thanksgiving ale, which, which I make. outstanding. Oh, it's, just, that is a tasty, tasty I meant to bring beer. you some. I will bring you more. Yes. And then I have a honey cream ale that I made, uh, which I call Weasel Spit. <laughs> and I make that during the summer. But yeah, coming up with creative names, right? It gives you kind of a unique way to express yourself. Yeah. yeah. So when did Evergood Elixirs become a thing? When did it move from a hobby to, hey, I think there's something here and I want to move forward with it? Yeah. So I remember these conversations Yeah. when all this was going down, but I want to paint the picture for the audience. Right. Well, you know, one of the questions you ask as an entrepreneur, one is product market fit. The other one is, will the dogs eat the dog food? In other words, do I have something that you are willing or, or is worth your money, mm-hmm. right? You're willing to open up your wallet mm-hmm. and actually exchange your hard-earned dollars for my product. Mm-hmm. And so a couple years ago, both of my boys were in hockey. So that was another thing I did. I played hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Um, among the many things that I did. Yeah. So my boys were playing hockey, and I was a hockey coach. And so I got to know one of the coaches here. And I would bring him you know, some of my beer. I'd bring him some of this wine. Yeah. And he started asking for more of this wine. He's like, my wife really likes this too. You know, it's gluten-free. It's low yes. sugar. Yeah. It's different, right? It's got, I mean, really low sulfites. So it doesn't give headaches or things like that. So then he's like, hey, can I buy a case from you? I'm not legally allowed to sell you a case, but if you want to make a donation to the Hexter Family Foundation, that would be wonderful, (laughs) right? And so that was, you know, that's when the light bulb went on. Like, huh, I wonder. So then I started making this and asking people, well, how much would you pay for this? Yeah. Would you pay 10 bucks for a bottle? Sure. So I was working for a nonprofit at the time and was now, um, I was transitioning out, Mm -hmm. kind of wondering what, you know, the next season would look like. And I've been involved in a group here locally called Peak Startup. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I appreciate about Colorado Springs is there's a highly supportive entrepreneurial environment and community here. Yeah. It's amazing. Those peak pitch nights. Yeah, the peak startup pitch nights. Absolutely. Just fun to watch. Yeah. So I thought, well, what the heck? I'm going to pitch. So I applied. I was accepted. I had to go through their pitch boot camp, which was really good. And in September of 2017, I pitched Skier P. And you did a very good job pitching. I oh, was there thanks. that night. And oh. I, thanks. Yeah. I was scared. <laughs> you didn't look it. You I was didn't scared. Look it. Yeah. And, and honestly, I didn't know what, what, what to say. Yeah. The whole thing was a blur. So, but one of the things that I wanted to try was will people like my product enough to buy it? And so at that time, I wasn't legal to sell. Yeah. So I thought, here's what I'll do I'm going to sell my stickers. And give you a free bottle when you buy my stickers. Yeah. So I had, you know, a couple dozen stickers made. And at the end of my pitch, I don't know if you remember this, I yes, said, I you know, remember. 
I can't sell you my product. However, I can sell you my sticker and then give you my product for free. And so I sold my sticker for $5 each. Yeah. And I sold out of them that night. I sold out of them and I gave away all of my product. Yeah. I'm like, huh, I wonder. Yeah. Right? So then I did something which I've coined LinkedIn stalking. Mm-hmm. And so you can get a free one month trial of their LinkedIn premium. And so I went ahead and signed up for that. So yeah. this was September of 2017. So then October, I sign up and I think, okay, who would be really good partners for my product, mm-hmm. right? There'd be a really good product market fit. So I started reaching out to all these outdoor adventure companies, hundreds, hundreds now, and hundreds. Now at this time, was there any entrepreneurial history in your life? Do you ever start any businesses or was it always working for HP and working for the nonprofit and this other stuff? I have always had a side hustle. Okay. I've always had a side hustle. Okay. So like when we first got married, I was a DJ and so actually sold my DJ services. Okay. And then my wife and I started a wedding planning Mm -hmm. company Mm -hmm. and we planned about two or three dozen weddings, not a couple, but dozens and dozens Mm -hmm. of them where we would kind of make some side money. Yeah. You know, starting a whole bunch of stuff. So in a past life, I was a project manager. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I gravitated to after I got out of education, Mm -hmm. got into project management, got my PMP, got all the certs, and then did that for years and years and years. I was working for a company and befriended a couple other guys and unfortunately this company had shut down so we got together one night over you know in a pub talking about what we're going to do and this guy says well i think we should start our own information security consulting firm and i'm like well that sounds really good what did you just say <laughs> i have no idea yeah you know yeah. and so he told me it turns out this guy had worked for the nsa naval intelligence i mean this was his specialty yeah and he said i can do all that i don't know how to run operations and you're a darn good project manager. Mm-hmm. And so both of us were like, well, that sounds really good. Neither of us are good at sales. So we got to find a sales guy. So three of us started an information security consulting firm in 2001, two months before 9-11. Mm. So once 9-11 hit, we yeah. walked into these massive contracts without even trying. I mean, out of the gate, we're making six figures each. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so that was kind of my first, you know, foray of getting into a, a real, you yeah. know, startup. Yeah. Problem is, is that we didn't pay our dues in the startup, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Because right? we walked right into the contracts. We just thought, oh, I guess everything's this easy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that answers your question about, you know, startups. Um, okay. So, so you reach out to these outdoor companies. Yeah. And one of them bit. One of them responded back and said, ooh, this is really intriguing. And it ended up being Vail Resorts. And I got an interview. I got a request to meet with their strategic sourcing buyer. And so there was another holy smoker that was a sales guy. I went to him and I'm like, I have no idea how to do this. He's like, yeah. well, I've, I've negotiated million dollar deals. Got together for coffee you know, he kind of told me what he does. I'm like, man, you're pretty good at this. Would you come with me? He's like, yeah, I'll come with you. So we went up there to Vail. Yeah. Ended up going up there in January of 2018. 
So this is James? This is James. Yeah. And we went up there and pitched. And within about a half an hour, the guy said, I love it. He said, I want to order a thousand cases. We'll trial it at Breck. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. I'm like, you know, a thousand cases come with 12 bottles each. That's 12,000 bottles. He's like, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll start off with that. <laughs> like, oh boy. Okay. So like we walk out and we're both like on cloud nine. Yeah. And James is like, I don't know what's going on here, but you don't see this. You don't see this. Yeah. He's like, you've got something. Yeah. He's like, so can you make this stuff legally? I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even have a company. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I immediately you know, came back, formed our LLC, and then I had to figure out, well, how do I even get a, you know, do I need a beer license? Do I need a wine license? Like, what do I need? Yeah. So I had to figure all that stuff out. So then it took me from January until June 29th of that year, so six full months, yeah. to get everything in order. So you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. Even though you got this big freaking contract with Vail Resorts, it seems like now you paid your dues in starting this thing. I certainly hope so. Yeah. Because even though you got this big contract, it was a tough go in that first year. It was, yeah. So I came back home, I told Melanie, and we both agreed that this was a venture worth pursuing. So we liquidated all our retirement and everything we had to start it. And so initially put in about 40000 mm-hmm. to buy my equipment. It turns out that to get your wine license here in Colorado, you actually have to have a physical manufacturing facility mm-hmm. that has to be spec'd for that, where the local enforcement division comes out and actually yeah. looks at it and signs off. So I had to start paying rent on a property found this beautiful property in Palmer Lake, brand new, mm-hmm. 2,000 square feet, you know, oh, just overlooking the mountains. I mean, just, you know, you literally, you feel like you're out in Palmer the Lake, for the people that don't know, it's north of Colorado Springs, even north of Monument, but south of Castle Rock, yes. which is south of Denver. Yeah, so north- To kind of give people a little bit of a perspective on Colorado. Yeah, so northwest, right on the foothills. Yeah. Just a sleepy little town, no stop sign, no traffic light. We just have a train that comes through every now and then and just creates, you know, a little havoc, you know, but other than that, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, make this huge investment and I'm not working, right? I'm trying to figure out how to yeah. do all you this stuff. You had left stuff. the nonprofit at this point. I had, yes. Fortunately, I was able to find some work for a defense contractor doing some project management for them. They had some commercial mm-hmm. projects and so I was able to help run those. Mm-hmm. So that was good. That was able to sustain me. That was supposed to go through the entire 2018. It didn't. It only lasted like three months. Mm. So that was one of the things that really kind of hurt us. Plus, I'm introducing a brand new product. Yeah. And I would have thought people would have heard of lemon wine. If you Google lemon wine, there's plenty of recipes on there. People have been making lemon wine. They've been making wine from everything, Mm -hmm. you know, for eons, right? But this was a brand new product. And so even though we had high conversion rates, high sales conversion rates, like when we went in and we would sample a retail location, we didn't have people asking for it. Yeah. Right? So it took us a while to build it. Yeah. And get a lot of customers. 
So as 2018 progressed, things got tougher and tougher mm -hmm. for us. By the time August hit of 2018, I had spent all of my savings. Mm -hmm. So now I had nothing. Mm -hmm. And the business was at a point where I could probably afford to take out anywhere from $250 to $500 a month from it and not feel like you know, I couldn't pay my rent, mm -hmm. my lease, or anything like that. So that was super hard. We ended up applying for, you know, food stamps. I started giving plasma. My wife started giving plasma. My oldest son started giving plasma. I started driving for Amazon Flex. You know, even though that pays well, it's not full-time. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to our church for some help. It was hard. As hard as it was... It was also good because God would raise up different individuals during that time who would show up, and at just the right time, like one guy showed up and gave me a check for $3,000. Like, what? We just felt like God told us, you needed this, and we have the ability to do that. I had another guy that worked for me at the nonprofit, a young single guy yeah. who would faithfully put money away in this separate fund. He called it his God fund. Mm -hmm. He came to us in like November of last year and said, I just really feel like you need this. So I'm like, that's so generous of you. That's so kind. I'm just thinking it's going to be a couple hundred bucks. 4,500 bucks, he cash apps me. I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, brother, you have no idea how needed that is. Like I can actually pay my mortgage. So that was what we had to go through yeah. for almost a year, almost a year. When did it turn around? When did things start to shift and how did they start to shift? That is a great question. So one of the books that somebody recommended I read is called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Mm -hmm. And so I bought the book, mm -hmm. but it was just sitting there in my stack. Mm -hmm. And I forget like who had, you know, again, kind of piqued my curiosity in the book, but I felt compelled to read it. And this was, I think, probably last March or April. So I started reading it, and it was an absolute game changer for me. Game changer. So Mike is like the Dave Ramsey for business finance. Mm -hmm. And his whole premise is that instead of asking your business to give you a profit on the back end, you take the profit on the front end and you force the business to live on less. Yeah. Right? So that's the whole premise. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa. I'm like, why didn't my CPA tell me about this? Yeah. I'm like, I've been struggling this whole time and no one took the time to say, Matthew, if there's one book you need to read yeah. before you start your business, read Profit First. I ended up firing my CPA and hiring one <laughs> that actually, you know, adheres to that process. Game changer, absolute game changer. Because now all of a sudden, I was able to take owner's comp. I was able to make sure that at least my mortgage got paid. And I was starting to slowly pay off debt and things like that. Oh, absolute game changer for me. The second thing was, is a defense contractor came back and had another gig yeah. that they offered me. Yeah. So I ended up working basically almost full time in June and July of this past year. Yeah. Which really gave us a huge nest egg and allowed us to pay off a lot of a lot of debt and just kind of right the ship. Yeah. If that makes sense? Yes. 
Also as well, for the business, James and I figured out the formula for our business. And I'm a big simplify guy, Yeah. right? I want to simplify the complex, right? Let's crawl, walk, run. Let's figure out what our crawl is, and let's really do that well. Mm-hmm. We figured out it was something called liquor to lips. So for us, because our product is so unique, we need to get our liquor to your lips so you can try it. So we started doing tastings everywhere we could. Yeah. And any liquor store that would allow us to do tastings, because when people would try it, inevitably they would at first they would be apprehensive yes and then they would try it and you could just see their eyes light up like whoa i had no idea right and so then we just started moving cases started moving cases like crazy the other thing was i figured out what our core values were Mm. and that Mm. was really important Mm. yeah because that helped us internally kind of galvanize our mission. I'm not a big mission statement guy, but I'm a big core values guy. Mm -hmm. And again, I wanted to keep my core values simple, right? And so we have three core values. Yes. And each one is just three words. So nine total words in our three core values, but they're huge. So our first one is you, not me. Ooh. And side note, that's how I define love. Yeah. You, not me. And so what that means is when we go out to like a liquor store owner, yes. it's about you. It's not about me. So all the conversation is going to be around how I can serve you. Yeah. Internally, it's about you, not me. So yeah, I may be the founder, but if there's something you need that's going to help you in your job or if there's something I'm saying right? That is getting in the way. Yeah. That's causing some drama or causing some static. We need to talk about that. And I have to be humble enough to let that go because it's about you, not me. Yeah. So that was the first one. The second one is on the heels of that. It's blessing, not burden. So wherever we want to go, it's our mission to be a blessing to you. So yes, it's about you but also it's about blessing you. And what we realized was that fit in hand in glove with our liquor to lips. Mm -hmm. Because if you're the liquor store owner and we're there and we're hustling, like we get told all the time that liquor store owners and managers love when we come in because we hustle for the sale. We really do, right? And when we're there, we're all there. We're fully present, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so like me as the founder, And the Vintner, like I've made every single batch. I just started batch number 50. So that's 5,000th gallon. Because each batch is 100 gallons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's handmade by me. Yes. So I get to go out. And as you're sampling it, I'm there. We're talking. Yeah. Right? And when they're asking questions, they're like, wow, wow, you really know a lot about this. I'm like, I make it. You make this and you're here talking to me? Yes. Right? So blessing, not burden. The third one is celebrated, not tolerated. And this is important for us in our sanity because we need to go where we're celebrated, where our product is celebrated, not tolerated. Mm. Because I can't be a blessing to you if you only tolerate my product because you won't allow me to do what I need to do to be a blessing for you. 
And so we've actually, quote unquote, fired some customers because it's just not been a good product market fit for them. And it doesn't allow us to be a blessing to them because they don't celebrate us. Yeah. Right. They just think, oh, lemon wine. Right. You kind of, you know, put their noses up. You Mm -hmm. know, they want they're a purist. Yeah. In terms of wine, uh, what we would call wine snobs. I love those. Yeah. I love those. That's that's fantastic. So let's talk super quick about each of the types of lemon wine that you make. So you got skier pea, which is just a standard lemon wine. Yep. So skier pea has four ingredients, water, lemon, sugar, and yeast. That's it. Now, unlike grapes, lemons do not have a lot of natural fermentable sugars. Mm. So we have to add pure cane sugar into it. Yeah. As well as some yeast nutrient. So that's skier pea. Takes about six weeks to ferment. Yeah. I ferment it dry. Once it's done fermenting, I stop fermentation, unlike beer. I'll stop it. I'll put a yeast killer in it. Mm -hmm. I clarify it with a a plant-based clarifier, which what it does is it grabs all the big molecules Mm -hmm. and pulls them down with gravity. Yeah. And so I end up getting kind of this sludge on the bottom of my fermenters. Yeah. I'll rack that over into another vessel, leaving the sludge in there. So it's cleaner. I don't filter it, but it's cleaner. And then from there, I'll re-blend it. So I'll add some more sugar back into it, which seems to make the lemon pop more mm. and also kind of makes it a little sweeter. And you got Snow Bunny. So Snow Bunny is our skier pea. When I rack it over, I then add a really clean and natural strawberry puree to it, along with a little sugar as well. Yeah. And so that flavors it. And then you got Switch Dance, which is the latest one, which is a lemon lime. It is. It is. And that actually came out of a trial that we ran. We were running some kind of test groups, some pilot groups on some different flavors. Yeah. And somebody had recommended, hey, have you thought about doing lemon and lime? Thought, no, I haven't. Which, by the way, on a side note, this guy gets a free lifetime Switch Dance (laughs) (laughs) for recommending that. But that ends up... All right, I got to start thinking of ideas. Yeah, so that ended up turning into actually my wife's favorite. Yeah. So I ferment half lemon juice, half lime juice, kind of similar to skier pea, and that it's much more full-bodied. Yeah. You've got the kind of the bitter and the tart, um, which is why people love Sprite while they love Mountain Dew, right? Those are lemon limes. Yeah. So we call this our margarita in a bottle. Let's go. Next summer... For listeners, we are going to be doing a Holy Smokes conclave out here in Colorado. We're going to be jumping around to some various locations. Right now, Evergood Elixirs, Skier Pea, Snow Bunny, and Switch Dance are only available in the state of Colorado. Correct. So if someone is comes out for the conclave or they're out traveling, I personally highly recommend going and bringing some bottles back to where you came from because... This is something that is just, it's delicious. Yeah, I appreciate that. And as a side note to your listeners, you are allowed to take alcohol in a checked bag. And so my daughter all the time will bring an extra suitcase, fill it full, check it, and take it back to Ohio so she can share it with all of her friends. 
And I've taken some bottles back to Wisconsin, given them to some friends, and they nice. have just been like, oh, I can't wait to come back to Colorado and try and have this again. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing about this business is um, what people actually start to do with your product, right? Yeah. Because you have an idea mm-hmm. of kind of the roadmap for it. I did not see one thing coming, and that was that people would use our products as a base for cocktails. I did not see that coming because I was just having it over ice. Yes. Right? And so at first, I kind of felt violated. I'm like, what are you doing? This is my baby. What are you doing? But I've since come around, um, (laughs) and it's been cool. We've been courted by a number of distilleries. Really? All over the country. Yep, trying our stuff. One in particular, a really well-known Kentucky brand. Yes. Came out and we mixed up some amazing cocktails. Amazing. Yeah. Just rock star. So it's been neat. To where, be do able want, to do that. where do you want this to go? So I am working on getting a canning line. So currently the reason why it's only available in Colorado is because of the format of the bottle. Yes. So the bottle is 650 milliliters. The government says it has to be either 500 or 750 to leave the state. Mm. So right now I have an exception to sell in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So as we've talked to a lot of people, they would really like to see it in cans. So I'm working on getting a canning line. I should have a canning line up and running within the next 60 days. As soon as we do that, we'll have the ability to be available in all 50 states. Matthew Hexter, Evergood Elixirs. How do people find you? How do people follow you on Instagram and Facebook and all that? Super easy. Just go to evergoodelixirs.com. You can go to skierp.wine. That will resolve as well as will snowbunny.wine and switchstance.wine. You can find us on Instagram at evergoodelixirs, E-L-I-X-I-R-S. Follow when you're here in Colorado. Get some and soon available more nationwide. Hopefully very soon. Hey everyone, before we get to Matthew's rapid fire segment, I want to talk super quick about today's sponsor, you. There are three simple ways in which you can help us out. One, you can check out Blinkist, and if you like it, subscribe. You can use our affiliate link at holysmokes.club slash blink. Two, you can become a regular supporter at patreon.com slash holysmokes. And then three, you can make a year-end tax-deductible donation at paypal.me slash holysmokesclub. All of those links are in the show notes. I said it a couple weeks ago. I recently got a note from a listener that said, Steve, I've stumbled onto your podcast and I've really been enjoying it. Thanks for being a part of loosening legalism's grip on my heart. There are hundreds of thousands of men and women that are languishing in our culture that need what we offer. Authentic, real community. So please consider partnering with us. Again, those links are in the show notes, patreon.com slash holysmokes and paypal.me slash holysmokesclub. Thanks. Rapid fire. Fire. Here. All right, let's go to rapid fire questions. Cigars or pipe? Cigars. First cigar experience. I was at a Wild at Heart boot camp. Ooh. I believe I had a Macanudo. It was very good. 
favorite cigar? Thompson Barlavento. It's a Maduro wrap. Ah. Very tasty. So you like the darker ones. So how's that Illusione one-off treating you? Oh, this is delicious. Oh, yeah. This is very buttery, very creamy. Nice. Most expensive cigar you've ever smoked? I did smoke a Cuban. It was hundreds of dollars. I can't recall. I smoked it very slowly. (laughs) Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Michter's American Whiskey. Most memorable cigar or pipe experience? I'm enjoying this one. Star Wars or Star Trek? Definitely Star Wars. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Favorite food? Pad Thai. Nickname growing up in college? Or growing up or in college? Few. Few? People would call me Matt, and I would say few for Matt Few. So I know all my college buddies because they call me Few. Interesting. Dogs, cats, neither, or both? Originally dogs, then when I had daughters, cats, and now we have both. Favorite book not titled the Bible? Probably the one that I'm reading that has the most value. So I would say Profit First, currently. Profit First, which is one that you and your wife recommended when we were at James's wedding reception. And I've got it. I started reading it. Once I hit the point where you start actually going through the exercises, I was like, all right, I got to save this one. So I've got it in my uh, pack that I'm going to be taking. My family and I are heading to Australia in about a week and a half. And so I'm going to be reading that one while I'm there with my brother and kind of going through that as something to kind of go through with my wife for kind of planning for 2020. Yeah. For any business owner or entrepreneur, that is a must read. Best type of cheese? Colby. What are your sports teams? Obviously, Ohio State Buckeyes. The Ohio State Buckeyes. Thank you. The <laughs> Cleveland Browns. So you are a Browns fan? I've been going you're, to see the Browns for punishment. since the 70s when they had Sam Ratigliano, the big ragu. Yeah. Yep. Through the 80s when they broke my heart. Then when they left and they came back again. I was there. I went to the first game against the Minnesota Vikings in the new stadium. It was so fun. And then they broke my heart for another decade or two or three. Yep. Other sports? Are you into any other sports besides? Not really. My kids love basketball. They love to follow. Like, we love March Madness. That's actually a national holiday in our household. All right. Last two questions. If you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history... Living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. So the first guy is General Robert E. Lee. Ooh. Interesting. Why? I'm a big military history buff, especially American military history. And I have always been so impressed with his leadership abilities to make that the Confederates did as much as they did with such few resources. Mm -hmm. All right, number two. Number two, Colonel Hal Moore from We Were Soldiers, if you've seen that movie. Yeah. Yeah, he was the colonel that actually led the troops. So I've read both of his books and then was able to find some other documentaries on him. Very similar. Been very impressed with his ability to lead, Mm. but also his ability to love. 
which seems like kind of two disparate ideas Mm -hmm. in the midst of battle. But in the end, he truly believed that his men got through it because they cared so deeply for each other. They had each other's back. Number three? My grandfather. I'd mentioned him earlier. Yeah. He died when I was six years old. And I would love to sit down with him and have a cigar with him and hear his story. And I want to find out why he didn't choose to fight through life. Mm. There wouldn't be any judgment. No. Yeah. But I would want to understand because that had uh, dramatic consequences. On your dad's life. On my dad's and life. And then on your mine. life. Yes. Last question. If we were to meet one year from today and I got a bottle of champagne or that American whiskey that you just named or a bottle of skier pea, snow bunny, switch stance, what are we celebrating? Well, I had thought about something for my business, but I have a personal project. Okay. I've actually been writing a book about marriage called Your Plans Don't Match. And there are a series of stories from my marriage as a tribute to my wife, but everything, both the good, bad, and the ugly of what we've had to endure for 30 years, but still come out 30 years later more in love, closer than ever before, Mm. and more committed to our marriage and growing older together. And I really want to be able to offer that as a gift to my kids so that they know that marriage, kind of the way in Shawshank Redemption, when Andy Dufresne says, you know, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. Mm -hmm. I feel like marriage is a good thing, maybe the best of things, Mm. you know, because God designed it. And I want to be able to pass that on to my kids. The website is evergoodelixirs.com. Yes. And... Do you guys have swag on there yet? You were talking about making some t-shirts. We do. We've got a full... Drink Yellow Snow. Full merch store. Absolutely. We've got something on there called our P-Finder, which is our live Google map of now close to 200 locations throughout Colorado. So go to Evergood Elixirs, get some swag. Any idea of when that book's going to come together? Um, It is about 80% completed. All right. When that comes out, we will post it on the Facebook page, post it in the secret Facebook group, let people know about it. Matthew Hexter, thanks for being on. I love you, my man. You are one special dude and all God's blessings to you. Seriously. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Always good to be here and good to have a cigar with you.